Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start with a question tonight. My question is, what would you guys do for a million dollars? No. What would you guys do for $10 million? Christian, what would you do for $10 million? Probably not the same thing you do for a Klondike bar, right? Okay, well, that's just you. Okay, they did this poll. They asked people uh, in America what they would do for $10 million. Two-thirds of Americans said that they would do at least one, if not multiple, of these things. 25% of the people said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Some of you guys are probably like, yeah, I'd do that. Maybe you don't like your family quite as much. Um, 25% said they would abandon their church for $10 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more for $10 million. Uh, 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. It's crazy that more, more than process. Um, and then uh, 16% said they'd leave their husband and wife. Um, 10% they would say, they said they would withhold testimony in court and let a murderer go free. 7% said they would kill a stranger. And 3% said they would put their children up for adoption for $10 million. If you're in that 3%, I'm sorry. Um, Tonight we're talking about greed. That is one of the seven deadly sins. And I think we should start with what Jesus had to say about greed. So let's read the passage. It's in Luke 12, chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. It's called the parable of the rich fool. Read it with me. Verse 13 says, Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. There's this guy and he's basically like, Jesus, Tell my brother to give me half of his stuff. It's mine. I deserve it. Jesus, you have to intervene. Verse 14, Jesus said to him, man, I love that. It literally says, man, who made me a judge over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Basically, relax and party. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then Whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Lord, tonight as we study your word, I just ask that in this simple message that you would speak to us on greed. That you would help us, Lord, to understand your heart towards greed. That you would help us, Lord, to understand how you feel about this. And I pray that we wouldn't tune out. I already know there's probably some people in the room who feel like they don't struggle with greed. Lord, help us to understand this message is for all of us. Help us to listen and understand what you're trying to say to us, Lord, as you warn us against the troubles of sin. We love you, Jesus, and we give this message to you. So one of my earliest messages of greed 
was Kermit the Frog in the Muppet movie dealing with a guy named Doc Hopper. Have you guys ever seen the Muppet movie? Has anyone ever seen the original Muppet movie in the 1970s version? Okay, cool. A few people. You're my people. That's awesome. Um, so Kermit, uh, Kermit the Frog, um, Kermit the Frog in the Muppet movie meets this guy named Doc Hopper who wants to hunt down all the frogs in the land. Why? Because he wants to chop off their legs and sell their legs in a restaurant. Dr. Hopper's Fried Frog Legs. And I remember watching that as a kid and I was like, that's bad. That's greed. What is greed? greed? Greed is a desire to take and take for your own gain, often at the expenses of others. And my question would be, have you been greedy in your life? Now, what are some like, common ways that people can be greedy? I asked some of my youth pastor friends, what are some ways you see people being greedy? They said, uh, when people keep the extra change from buying groceries instead of giving the full amount back to their parents. So your parents give you grocery money and say, hey, go out and buy me groceries, and maybe you pocket a little bit on the side. Um, for some people, maybe it's eating three servings of the snacks before everyone gets a chance to have even one. Um, maybe you're the type who takes an entire pizza box for yourself before everyone has a chance to get it. Um, Maybe for you, it's not giving sacrificially of your time and energy to others with the excuse of, well, I have a job or I go to school without without realizing that all of the adult volunteers in this group are in that same spot. They have jobs, they have lives, but they choose to volunteer and give their life and time to this group. Um, Maybe it's always wanting the newest phone or the most expensive car, or maybe it's grabbing all the cookies because you don't like any of the other snacks, or Maybe it's making everyone give in to your way because you whine the longest and loudest. I think there's a little bit of greed in all of us. And it's easy to ignore because it's so common, but it's deadly. And it's completely against the way that Christ calls us to live. Uh, Jim Elliott, this amazing missionary, I've talked about him many times. This guy who literally gave up his life to be a missionary to this jungle tribe. He flew his plane. Him and his four friends, they were... um, close to your guys' age, some of you guys who are around 18, 19, these guys were young and they flew to this jungle knowing that they might die and they actually did lose their life. They were speared to death for Jesus. But Jim Elliott had this great quote. He says, you know, no one is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But we always want what we can lose. We always want what we can't have. Example, um, how many hours do we spend on Instagram or Pinterest looking at things that we can't afford or looking at things that we can't have, just scrolling and scrolling and saying, I want that, can't have it. I want that, can't have it. I want that, I'm going to get that one day. I'm going to get enough money. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to get that thing that I want. You see, greed makes us driven by possessions. Um, Example, what happens when you buy a new iPhone? Can you just buy that new iPhone? No, you've got to get the accessories. You've got to get the case and the charger cables and and the waterproof case and the lens and the GoPro that attaches to it. I don't know if you're that way, but I certainly am. I'm a person where I can't just enjoy what I have. I always feel like sometimes I want to have more. And oftentimes we want more than we need. How many of you guys have ever gotten a Christmas present and ended up sitting in the garage or the shelf a couple months later? Anybody? I've been that way, absolutely. You know, I got my dad a book this Christmas, and he didn't even read it. I was so bummed. I was like, Dad, I got you a book for Christmas. And then, like, I, uh, I came over to his house, and it was, like, literally, like, under a pile of stuff in his closet. I was like, oh, Dad, how was that book? And he's like, what book? And I was like, you stinking Dad. That's awesome. Um, in Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Jesus is saying a couple of things here. He's saying you can't serve two masters because what's a master? A master is something that commands, demands full control of your life. Have you ever tried to do two things at once? 100%? How'd it go? Anybody? Like, how many of you guys are trying to, like, balance your life right now with school and friends and athletics? It's hard, right? It's like the balancing act is hard. I remember one time I was walking down the hallway here at the school, and I was trying really hard to do this crazy balancing act. I was trying to, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what was going on, but I had my headphones on, like noise-canceling headphones on, listening to, like, really loud music while carrying my laptop in one hand and my iPad in the other down the hallway in the dark. You can guess what happened. I ran into the wall, and it was awesome. I was glad that no one saw it because I looked like an idiot. Um, Jesus says we can't serve two masters. He says, listen, if you try to do that, you're either going to love one and hate the other. He says you can't serve God and mammon. Who here has ever heard of mammon? Anybody? Mammon. Sounds like a woolly mammoth. That's not what he's saying, though. Um, When he says you can't serve mammon, he's talking about mammon is basically this personification of wealth. Like, how many of you guys have ever heard of, like, Lady Liberty? Lady Liberty, anybody? Uncle Sam. How do you guys have ever heard of Uncle Sam? Is Uncle Sam a re- not? Well, Sam will be an uncle one day, and then we'll call him Uncle Sam. Um, but we all know Uncle Sam, the guy in the American top hat and the you know long pants, and the you know he's got the beard, and he says, "I want you for the army." Um, we all know that he's not a real guy. Uncle Sam is a personification of an idea. He's like a personification of like Americanism and patriotism and all those things. So when the Jews talked about Mammon, Mammon was this personification of wealth. So just imagine like this big giant like king with a big old smoothie i don't know i'm trying to think of what he'd have in his hand a drumstick like king henry uh in the paintings he always had a giant drumstick just imagine a big old king and he's wealthy they look at that's their personification it's mammon and they say hey you can't serve god yahweh and mammon the god of wealth if you serve mammon if you serve wealth money success fame greed you can try to serve god too but you'll end up loving god much less if you love greed Now, verse 15, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, take heed, watch out, take care. He says, watch out for covetousness. What is covetousness? It's envy fueled by greed. We did a seven deadly sins study on envy. When you get so jealous of someone else, covetousness, when you covet someone else's stuff, it's when you're not only jealous of them, but you're greedy towards what they have. You say, I want what they have and I will stop at nothing to get it. See, Jesus teaches us your life doesn't consist of your possessions. Um, There's a powerful picture of this in this classic film, Citizen Kane. Has anyone ever seen Citizen Kane? Oh, any, nobody? You know what? It's so boring, I haven't even seen it. I have it on my shelf. It's like I got it on VHS when I was in high school, and I was like, I'm going to watch that one day. And I never did because it's boring. But I looked it up. So Citizen Kane is this old movie, black and white, about a guy named Citizen Kane who was so wealthy, he stepped on other people's dreams in order to get ahead. But in the end of the movie, the rich man is on his deathbed in a room, all alone, surrounded by his possessions. And he realizes that the possessions cannot do anything for him. He's old, he's rich, but now he has no friends and he's just in this big room full of his stuff. And he's like, this stuff can't do anything for me. And at the end of the at the end of the movie he whispers these classic words i knew this even though i hadn't seen the movie i knew this because i knew enough about film to know um citizen kane whispers his last words it's rosebud super weird right he's sitting on his deathbed and the last thing he says is rosebud and it's like why does he say that the reason is because rosebud 
was the name of his favorite childhood sled that he had when he was a little kid. And he realized as he was dying that the only possession that he actually cared about, he had cars, he had stuff, he had clothes, he had mansions. The only thing he really ever cared about, the only possession he ever truly loved was his sled. And the last shot of the movie is really sad because it shows the sled getting thrown into the fire by his servants because they didn't know that that's what he cared about. And he dies and that's it. The reality is we can't take our wealth with us into heaven. The Bible talks about heaven having streets of gold. And for those of us here who are so obsessed with wealth and money and gold, it must be really strange for people in heaven to look down and be like, why are you guys so concerned about pavement? Like when we get to heaven, it's streets of gold. It's like, why are you guys so... It'd be like if we were obsessed with asphalt, if we were obsessed with dirt, that's what it would be. It's like, God's like, what do you need with wealth when you have the kingdom of heaven? Now, those who serve wealth begin to look like their God. They begin to look like the God of greed, mammon. Example, people who feel the need to dress in expensive clothes and drive expensive cars, even if they can't really afford them because they feel the need to look wealthy. Um, They want to keep up the image of wealth, the appearance. They know that they need to fit into a certain culture of wealth. So even if they can't afford it, they're taking out credit cards to get these things that they can't afford because they want to keep up appearances and images. And it's an idol. There's a guy named Toby Sheldon, who was obsessed with the fame and success of Justin Bieber, so much so that he spent $100,000 to get plastic surgery to look like him. And it's so sad. You can look at pictures of him. The, the surgery did not go well. He ended up, well, we can laugh, but the reality is he was so overcome with despair after spending all of his money and the surgery made him look pretty hideous afterwards that he was found dead in an apartment building overdosed on drugs. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I laughed, too, when I saw the picture. And then I was like, how, how can I tell this story without making people laugh? There's no way. The, the picture is really funny, but the story is really sad. You see, greed causes us to become a twisted version of who God created us to be. In Proverbs 119, it says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Greed makes us wealthy on the outside, but dead on the inside. And if you allow yourself to be controlled by the need for more stuff, life will always feel like it's slipping through your fingers. Do you realize that? Like, no matter how much you get the new tech, the new phone, the new style, the new clothes, the new car, the new house, the new music, the new shoes, no matter what you get, the reality is once you get it, next month, guess what? A new model just came out. And when we live for greed, when we live for that status quo, it feels like life is always slipping through our fingers. There will always be something better coming out the minute that you get it. Life can't be based on greed. It becomes a house of cards that crumbles. And you guys need to realize that the mark of a Christian is that our lives are God-centered, not us-centered. If you're a Christian, your life is God-centered and others-oriented. The more Jesus you have, the more that we should become like him. The richer we are in Christ, the more willing we should be to give away the rest of ourself because we realize it's only gaining Christ that matters. You guys know what Paul the Apostle said? He said, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
I count all else as loss. Have you guys heard that verse? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying basically, if I want to live, then it's Christ, Christ, Christ. But he says, if, I'm, if I die, like who cares? I'm with Jesus. For me to live is Christ so much so that if I die, I'm not losing my life. I'm actually gaining it because I'm going to the heavenly kingdom. He says, everything else in my life I count as loss. All the money, all the possessions. Paul was a guy who at one time in his life was very rich and at one time in his life was very poor. And what he said is, I have learned to be content whether I have a lot of stuff or whether I don't have a lot of stuff. Because whether I'm sitting in a mansion or rotting in a jail cell, I have Jesus and that makes all the difference in the world. And I want to ask you, is that your mentality? Have you said, Jesus, if I lost everything, I would still have everything in you. Think about that. Think about right now all the things that are important to you, your stuff, your friends, your house, your clothes, your technology, your cars, your money that you've been saving up at this young age, maybe some of you guys working. If you were to lose all of that, if it were to be completely gone, burned away, flooded away, no insurance to bring it back, it's just gone for good, could you have joy and say, I have Christ and that is everything? We need to understand what Jesus is saying here. We need to understand the parable. Let's go back to it. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Let's look at it again. And as you're reading along, I'm going to read it from another translation. This is the message. So it says in a little bit more of a modern translation. So I'm going to read it again. Verse 13. Someone out of the crowd said, teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. And Jesus said, mister, what makes you think there's any of my business to be a judge between you and your brother? And then speaking to the people, Jesus went on and he said, hey, listen, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then verse 16 through 19, he told them a story. He said, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop, and he talked to himself. And the farmer said, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. I've got so much stuff, I need a bigger barn. So then the farmer says, you know what? I'll gather all my grain and goods, and I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire, take it easy, have the time of your life. And then just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight, you are actually dying. You are losing your life and your barn full of goods. Who gets it in the end? Jesus says then, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When you fill your life with self and not with God. The first thing that we see about the rich man in the story is he never saw beyond himself. The rich man attitude, his attitude was, my focus is completely on myself. Why He says the wrong thing is because he's constantly asking the question, how much can I keep for myself? He's saying it's all about my barns, my grain, my soul, myself. He's aggressively self-concerned. He's keeping rather than giving, hoarding rather than helping, protecting his lot, and then losing his soul. The attitude of the man was completely focused on how to protect, secure, and increase his wealth. And God's point in the story is, hey, that's all well and good, but if you die, what was it all for? That kingdom you're building for yourself, that empire, all the money that you're saving, all the stuff that you're getting, all the work that you're doing, what was it for if God wasn't the center of it? The stats show that 10 out of 10 people die. Every single one of you are going to die. Have a good night. See you later. Like, wouldn't that be a bummer if I ended it like that? Um, 
that's not the reality, though. The reality is that every single person dies. And you know what? When we die, guess what happens to all of our hard-earned stuff? Either some jerk who didn't work for it gets it, or it gets thrown away. Um, so greed causes us not to see beyond ourselves. It causes us to be so focused on things that don't matter. Um, you know, Jesus said we can't serve two masters, and that's really the reality. You can't serve anything else but Jesus with your life. It has to be one or the other. Anything else is fake Christianity. When we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of what our lives were created for. Are you looking for satisfaction tonight? Like, are you here in your life? If you're like me, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, I was not satisfied at, my, at that time of my life. I was not particularly happy with the way things were going in my life. There were things that I wanted to happen that were just not happening. Dreams that I had that just just weren't coming true. Things in my life that felt like were, they were holding me back. And I was looking for satisfaction and I was not finding it because I was looking in the wrong place. I wasn't looking in Christ. Listen, guys, you will never be satisfied until you begin to pour your life out for the gospel. Until you begin to pour your life out for the gospel. So much of us is trying to fill our life with ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of ourselves. This is kind of a gross analogy, but think about what happens when you're sick to your stomach. When you're sick to your stomach and you know that you're going to throw up, you're full of yourself. You're full of sickness and disgustingness. And really, like, you'll never be truly satisfied until you get that stuff out of you. And then the healing process begins. Until then, you're miserable. But what happens if you add more to what's already there? If you're sick to your stomach and you think you're going to hurl, what happens if you add more food on top of that? It just makes you more sick, and the result is more pain. And when you throw up, it's a painful process, but it usually leads to you eventually feeling much better. And in the same way, dying to yourself emptying yourself of the trash that is your human wicked heart my human wicked heart when you empty yourself of yourself and you allow Jesus to move in and begin the healing process when you allow Jesus to break you down so many of us don't allow Jesus to break us down we have our walls up and Jesus comes and says I want to hey I want to get in there and I want to break down these walls in your life and we say no way Jesus I'm fine the way I am we it's really hard but it's worth it in the end when was the last time you said to Jesus Lord empty me completely of myself. Lord, completely empty me of the things in me that are wrong and fill me with you. Guys, listen, if heaven is real and Jesus is God, then living for eternity is the only thing that makes sense. Greed is logical. This is what Sir Fred Catherworth said. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. So what he's saying is, listen, if this life is all that there is, then we should live for this life. But we know that this life is not all that there is. There is so much more. And to live for just this life would be a waste. That doesn't mean we ignore this life. So many, so many Christians just ignore this life. They, get it, they put the cart before the horse to get the whole thing backwards. They say, well, if Jesus is coming back, I'm just going to sit around and wait for him to return. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to live for this life for Jesus not to live for this life for ourselves. We are called to live this life the best that we can for the Lord. Doing this is what truly makes us feel free because you can become suffocated by your own greed. You can become suffocated by your own sin. Sin blinds us to the reality that we're not alone in the universe, that there's a God who loves us in the universe. Greed causes us to only lose focus for others and to only put our eyes on ourselves. We are an individualistic and self-centered culture. 
aren't we? Like, we can admit that. I can admit that. I'm a part of this culture. We are an individualistic and self-centered culture. We think that the self, the, the source of happiness is possessions. We think that the source of happiness is wealth, beauty, sex, popularity. And so when we weigh in the balance what we care about, so like think of scales, you know, and you've got in the balance, like, what do I care about? When you weigh all of those things that I listed, wealth, beauty, sex, popularity, possessions, and then you have Jesus in the other scale, it almost feels like sometimes the weight of those other things is way more concerning, and the weight of Christ is not so much. We need to remember that it is Jesus, it is Jesus that makes our life what it is. If you're wondering what is the secret to a good life, it's, here's the formula, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is such an important message. What what do I do with my life? What do I add to my life? Like, what can I bring to my life to make me finally happy? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the problem is so many times we're trying to do Jesus plus something else. And that leads to confusion. So many times our life is focused on self. My life, my story, my success, my problems. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is sitting with a crowd, telling stories and sharing about God. And the rich man rolls up in a brand new car. And he's young and handsome. And he's got a nice suit, big watch, expensive sunglasses. He's got two girls hanging on both his arms. Probably get heavy. (laughs) And Jesus says, hey, I've... Or no, he walks up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I've heard a lot about you. I like what you're saying. I want to know, how can I get eternal life? This is the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospel of Mark. So then Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Don't kill, don't cheat on your wife, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat others, honor your parents. And, you know, you might think, you know, because we're a cynical society, you might think like, oh, Jesus has got this guy here because he's a rich guy. So that means because he's so rich, he probably did something shady to get his money. He probably lied or stole or cheated. But then, no, Jesus responds and says, Or no, then the man says, yeah, Jesus, I've actually kept all those commandments like hardcore ever since I was a kid. I haven't done any of those things, Jesus. Like, so, so now do I get eternal life? Here's the shocker. This is what Jesus says in um, Mark 10, 21 says, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Now I want you guys to really pay attention to this because this parable can be super confusing. What is Jesus talking about here? It says in verse 22, after Jesus said that, Jesus said, hey, one thing you lack, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Verse 22, it says, then that man was sad at what Jesus had said and he went away sorrowing Because he had many possessions. So it's super heavy. This story can be confusing, and honestly, it can kind of freak you out. Because, like, what is going on here? The man, the rich and ruler, he did all the right things. He kept all the commandments. So why can't he get eternal life? This, like, really kind of tweaks with our idea that salvation is a free gift. We can kind of hear this verse and go, wait, is salvation actually a free gift? Because Jesus is saying you got to sell all your stuff. So we wonder, like, why didn't Jesus, like, chase him down and say, hey, man, I was kidding about all that intense stuff about selling everything. Uh, You know, you, you just need to believe in me, and then you'll be okay, and then you'll get eternal life. Like, why didn't Jesus do that if salvation is a free gift? Here's the reality. Salvation is a free gift in that you don't have to die for your sins. What is the price for your sins? Death. You don't have to die to get 
salvation because Jesus did it for you. You don't have to pay the price. So Jesus paid the price, making that gift free to you and that you don't have to die for your sins. But listen, guys, Jesus, following Jesus will absolutely cost you something. To make Jesus Lord means that you have to make yourself not Lord. You have to surrender control of your life. So many times we don't want to do that. I remember when I was playing uh, video games with Luke Bernacki back when he was a little kid. I used to babysit him. Luke Bernacki was this tiny little blonde puffball of joy with Beatles floppy hair. It, like, it looked like a wig. It was just this blonde flop of hair. And I remember playing video games with Luke, and I didn't want to give him control because he was like two or three. So like I wanted to play and have a challenge. So I'd play against the computer. I would unplug the controller, slip it under the machine so it looked like he was controlling it, and he would just sit there like freaking out thinking he was doing so good. And anytime the computer beat me, Luke would think it was himself, and he'd turn to me and go, I beat, I beat. And I was like, yes, you did, Luke. You beat. Way to go, buddy. So many times that we treat God that way. We don't want to give him control. We fake him out. We think we fake him out. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you control. And then we live our life the way that we want to while raising our hands and singing. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What does it literally mean to have Jesus be Lord? Here's example number one, with sin. Now you might think to be a Christian means you get to do whatever you want, you do whatever feels good, you do whatever you're tempted to do, and then when you're done, you go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry, and he forgives you, and you start the process all over. Guys, that's not Christianity. That's religion, and Jesus never preached religion. True Christianity is making Jesus Lord. It means that you study the Bible. You study the word of God to find out what breaks God's heart, and then you make a point not to do those things, not because it's on a list of rules, but because you love God. God and you don't want to break his heart. And then because you're a human, you absolutely, you absolutely will make mistakes. You have to realize that. As a Christian, I don't care how hardcore you follow Jesus, you're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it. But here's the difference. When your heart is in a position of, I'm just going to sin and like whatever, Jesus will forgive me. That, that's not true Christianity. That's not following Christ. But if your heart is, I'm going to love Jesus and follow him, and then you do fall down and make a mistake, which you will, it's such a different place that your heart is in. And then God says, hey, I know you're trying to follow me. I know you fell down. I know you blew it last night. I know you blew it last week. But hey, I love you. Get back up. Keep walking with me. I forgive you and I love you. Let's keep going. That's, that's Christianity. It's not doing whatever you want and then coming for forgiveness. It doesn't work. Making Jesus Lord is what works. Here's the next example, decisions. Being Christian does not mean going to church once in a while and then hoping God speaks to you. Being a Christian means as you deal with situations in your life, you turn to Jesus and you say, Lord, what do you think? And maybe you say, Jesus, I'm not going to do anything until I hear back from you. And maybe you go to his word and you say, God, with this decision I'm trying to make in my life, what has your word already said? Is there anything in the word that can give me an idea of what I should do in this situation? Because here's the point. What I'm trying to say is if Jesus is really Lord, we are no longer our own. Everything is his. So back to the story, back up. When Jesus tells the rich young ruler that in order to follow him, he needs to sell everything, then why do Christians have stuff? Why do Christians have stuff? Does that mean we're not saved if we have possessions? Maybe some of you guys have more money than other people in the room. And you're like, I have possessions, but I haven't sold them. So am I not a Christian? Well, 
listen, maybe you're here and you haven't sold anything for Jesus. That's okay after the service. Yard sale. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but this is, this, this is not what Jesus is saying. His problem, listen, listen, please catch this. Jesus' problem was not that this man was rich or that he had stuff. I know plenty of Christians who are rich. I know Christians who are rich and they buy me lunch and they're like, it's on me. And I'm like, thank you, rich Christian. You are awesome. I don't actually say that. That'd be really awkward if they like bought me lunch. I'm like, thank you, rich Christian. They would probably be like, this guy's weird. We're never buying him lunch again. Um, but the problem is not Christians who have money or Christians who are rich. Some Christians are poor. Some Christians are rich. The problem was not that the man was rich. It was not that he had stuff. It was that his stuff had had him. Did you catch that? The problem was not that this man had stuff. It was that his stuff had him. And that is the problem that Jesus has. When our stuff becomes an idol, he looks at us and he says, for you, you need to get rid of that. He's not saying like that particular thing is a sin for everybody, but maybe he's looking at you and he's like, hey, for you, that thing, That thing's not good for you because it's taken possession of you because you're obsessed with it because you're constantly thinking about it because you love it more than you love me because you're holding onto it so tightly that even if I came to you and stood directly in your face and said, get rid of that stuff and you wouldn't be willing to let go of it. He realized that for this man, his possessions were the idol in his life and that he would not be willing to ever give them up and that's what happens. Jesus tests him. He says, yeah, to follow me, you gotta give up your stuff and the man's like, I can't do that and he leaves. And it shows where his idolatry actually lied. Jesus understands that for us to truly follow him with our whole hearts, we need to let go of every idol or we will never truly follow Jesus. We will always be held back. For this man, the idol was greed. This man's entire life was built around wealth and success and possessions. So Jesus told him, if you truly want to follow me, you're going to have to get rid of that stuff. You're going to have to die to that stuff. You're going to have to pick up your cross and walk with me. One of the things I love about that verse too, if you guys notice, look at the verse where it talks about Jesus saying that stuff to him. It says, and then Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Did you catch that? That's one of the killer parts of the verse. Jesus is not being judgmental here. He's not like, hey buddy, listen, if you want to follow me, you got to be in the top brass. You got to be the top level of Christian. You got to be hardcore, man. You're not hardcore enough to follow me. You got to sell everything, man. You're, you're just a rich sellout. That's not what he's saying. He understands that if this guy tried to follow him, he would fail because his stuff would hold him back. So out of love, Jesus tells him that what he needs to do is to get rid of his stuff. And you know what? We don't hear about this guy in the rest of the story of the Bible, but I like to think that possibly this man watched Jesus go to the cross and he watched Jesus die. And then he heard about Jesus rising from the dead and he remembered those words about how Jesus said, you have to give up everything to follow me. And he saw Jesus said that. And then he did that. He died on the cross. You know what? I will sell everything and follow Jesus and leave my idols behind. I don't know if that's what happened, but I like to think that it did. What does this look like for a high school student? What does this look like for you of how to give up greed for the Lord? Well, for one, we have to give up our idols. Maybe for you, it's your phone. Like I know for me, it often can be. I spend so much time on my phone, just endlessly scrolling on stuff. Maybe for you, it's Instagram or Snapchat. And maybe you're greedy with your time. 
Maybe when it's like your time, you're like, this is my time to sit here and scroll and look at all the fun other people are having for hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm done with my homework. I just want to sit and scroll. And maybe God is saying to you, hey, you're being greedy with some of that time. Maybe give up some of that time and spend with the Lord or spend with family or spend serving others. Maybe for some of you in the room, it's possessions. Maybe for some of you, you're just so wrapped up in the physical possession, the clothes, the stuff, the cars, the money. Maybe for you, maybe it's Jesus is saying, hey, be willing to get a cheaper car or phone and use that money for something else God has for you. Maybe he wants you to give that money. Maybe he wants you to save it for a missions trip or, or some other service or just to give to somebody. Maybe for you, it's success. Maybe you're greedy towards success. Maybe for you, you have these huge expectations and these huge standards of what your first job is going to be. And you're thinking like, if I don't get that dream job, if I don't get what I want, then no way am I working at McDonald's. No way am I gonna do that. Maybe for you, It's, hey, stop being so greedy and be willing to take a career or job path or college choice that maybe won't lead to tons of money, but it'll be where God wants you. Listen, guys, there is nothing wrong with making money, but if your God is making money, if your idol is making money, you will often turn to the wrong source to get that money. Instead of working hard and trusting God, saying, God, I'm gonna work hard in the job that you've put me, whether it's being the CEO of a company or whether it's working at McDonald's as a janitor, it's saying, God, I'm gonna work work hard, do my best, and trust you on whether or not you want me to make a ton of money or not. I would love to make a ton of money. So far, God has not wanted me to make a ton of money. And you know what? It's been a good thing for me. I have friends where God wanted them to make a ton of money. And it's awesome. And I have friends who use that money for awesome things. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to embarrass them, but uh, Eric and Kayla, um, you know, Eric and Kayla have been very successful with uh, the things that they've done for work. But it's been so cool because they have actually donated a lot of that money into this group on the slide. They've bought us things like grills and, and, and things like that. And it's been such a blessing to see. I love their heart. Um, we did a guy study about uh, jobs and Eric had such great things to say about how to be a steward of money and how to be somebody where if God allows you to make money, how to use it for good. And I love that. But for, for, for any of us here in the room, if our goal is not saying I want to use my money for God, but my goal in life is getting as much money as possible, then you're going to say, therefore, I will do whatever it takes to get the money. And that is such a bad way to live. It often leads to sin. It often leads to sin. Let's say that your job, like for some of you guys, I know some of you guys like cars. Okay, so let's say for some of you guys, you know, your job is like flipping cars or maybe it's flipping homes. So maybe that's going to be what it is one day. Like you buy homes, you fix them up and you sell them or that kind of thing. Um, that's a big thing. A lot of you guys can get into. So you have two choices on how to run the business through God. You can be an honest businessman. You can deal with people honestly, and if there's a problem with the car or the home, you can tell them, hey, this is the problem, and I'm letting you know up front, this is the deal, because I'm an honest businessman. That's honoring the Lord. But if it's through greed and in the flesh, you'll be dishonest, because you'll want to get money however you can. So you'll tell people, hey, you know, uh, this car is great, but really there's problems with it, but you're not letting them know. That sort of thing happens all the time. And I hear justifications for it. Like, well, you know, uh, you know uh, that guy seemed like he had a lot of money, so it's not a big deal. I can just trick him. I can just rip him off. Guys, sin is sin. And in God's eyes, it's all deadly. We need to really think critically about greed because it's easy to simplify the topic and just think rich people are bad and selfish and poor people are godly and good. Consider this. I'm going to ask you guys a question. An old beggar, in my notes I wrote an old bigger woman. I meant beggar. An old beggar woman is going after a loaf of bread. 
or a businessman who's going after his next million dollars? Who's more greedy? What do you guys think? Who thinks the old woman is more greedy? Who thinks the businessman is more greedy? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Like two people raise their hand. I don't know if anyone's paying attention to this study. I hope you are. Um, So here's the thing. You might think that the rich man is more greedy and the old woman going after that loaf of bread is less greedy, but we have to see what is the context. In this hypothetical situation, the businessman is doing nothing wrong. He works hard, he's honest, he never cheats anybody, he totally holds his wealth with an open hand, and he says, God, you blessed me with this wealth, and you can take it away anytime. I trust you, Lord, now that I'm rich, and I'll trust you if I'll end up poor. And he's extremely successful and blessed because he puts his trust in God. And there's nothing wrong with being successful. God has blessed him with the business, which is growing, and he's working hard and honestly, and he's making his next million. But the beggar woman in the story she is actually somebody who she's in the food line and she's got three loaves of bread and she's pushing someone else out of the way to get the next loaf. she wants four loaves of bread and now there's a family in line who doesn't get the loaf of bread so who's more greedy is it the old lady or is it the rich man who thinks it's the old lady now no it's definitely not the rich man it's the old lady Do you see the difference? With greed, it always comes down to what are your motivations. With money, it always comes down to what are your motivations. When our motivation is to honor God, then he'll bless us whether we're rich or poor. If our motivation is greed, we will be consumed. Guys, right now, really quick, everyone close your eyes. Close your eyes, okay? Everybody close it. Now, imagine the thing that you want most in the world. Imagine the thing that you want most in the world. Just focus on the first thing that pops in your head. Okay, everyone open your eyes. Yeah. Okay. So are you surprised at what popped in your head when I said imagine the thing that you want most? Listen, this, this is a good illustration for those of us who think we don't struggle with greed. You might think like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm not in sin. I, I don't care about greed. I'm good. Listen, you may not struggle with greed now. Like... I'm sure that some of you guys thought of like money or possession or wealth. Maybe some of you guys didn't think of money or possessions as well. So you're like, I don't struggle with greed. I'm fine. Listen, here's the reality. You may not struggle with greed now, but if you allow that thing that popped in your head, that thing that popped in your head, if you allow that to be the thing that you want most in life, whatever it is, if it does not come to you easily, greed will motivate you to do terrible things to get it. For example, let's say for you, the first thing you thought of was success. You thought about the future that you've envisioned for yourself after you go to college and get that job that you want. The thing that you want most in life is success. Listen, if that's what you want most in life, if it doesn't happen the way that you want it, if it's not God's plan, let's say you don't become the top of your class, you don't become the valedictorian, you don't become the captain of the football team. So instead of trusting God, you cheat in school or you step over other people, you gossip and put people down to try to get what you want. That's greed. That's greed. It doesn't involve money, but it's greed. For you, it might be, I want love. You know, maybe for you, it was a, a person. It was, it was a girl or a guy that popped in your head. You're like, a relationship with them is what I want most in the world. Listen, if it doesn't happen the way that you want, if it's not God's plan for you to be that, with that person, and maybe you go through many years of singleness and you're just bombed out as a high school kid, and you're like, I'm 18 and I've never had a girlfriend, so obviously I'm gonna die single. That's what I thought. And I just, it's so, such a wrong mentality. Um, if that's you... 
then greed will turn you to do horrible things to get what you want. If you can't get that relationship, then you might turn to lust or pornography to try to fill that thing in your heart. You might turn to shallow relationships with guys and girls that are going nowhere. Relationships that have nothing to do with God. And it's all about just the physical and the companionship. And you turn to these relationships that God does not want for you. It's because of greed. It's saying, I am willing to go beyond what God has for me and push past it and do whatever I want to get what I want. Do you see? It's not just money. We can be greedy for so many things in our life. We can want money and go after it dishonestly. Um, I saw this recently and it was such a bummer. There's this dude who called me and he had a phone scam. Have you guys ever been phone scammed before? No, I love messing with phone scammers because they're so dumb, okay? So me and Brooklyn were in the office and this is the second, hey, you know, phone scammer. Are you a phone scammer? On, on the weekends? Is that how you get money? Okay, the phone scammer called me. Uh, me and Brooklyn were in our office, and it's this lady. And she's like, oh, excuse me. I just have to adjust my headset. And then she, have you had that before? Yeah. So she's like, hey, listen, you just stayed at one of our resorts, and we loved having you here. And I know, dude. You just ruined the punchline of my story. Thanks a lot. So anyway, um, so this automatic, this automatic message, uh, I, I was talking to the automatic message. She's like, you just stayed on, on our resort, and you just want to cruise and all this stuff. It's going to be great. So can you please tell us your social security? And so I respond, and I, I don't know it's a recorded message yet, so I just respond, and I'm like, hey, lady, that's awesome, but can I ask you a question? And she goes, oh, that's great. Like, yeah, that's so cool. So what's your social security? I'm like, no, let me ask you a question. What resort did I stay at? And she's like, what's your social security? I'm like, what resort did I stay at? Because I didn't stay at any resort, so I'm trying to prove this robot wrong. And you, and you know what? It's, it's not... It's not really a lady. It's this sweaty guy. I'm just imagining, but this sweaty guy named Jeff sitting at a switchboard, pressing buttons, trying to trick me. And so eventually she was like, give me your social security number. And I was like, no. And then she hung up. So then I called the number back and it was this dude. And he was like, hey man, what are you calling me for? I'm like, why are you calling me? Why are you trying to scam me out of money? I didn't stay at any resort. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, I know you called me. It came from this number. And he's like, dude, just block this number. I'm like, no man. And I said, what are you doing with your life? What is wrong with you that you spend your time trying to scam people out of money? He's like, whatever, man. And he hung up. It's like, dude, get your life together. That's what greed does. Like that's, that guy is the end result of a lifetime of not getting what he wanted. He resorted to the worst thing possible. The worst thing possible, being a phone scammer. Guys, listen, greed is much more elusive than we realize. Guys, I, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna close with kind of this reality of Oh, I don't know what's going on out there. Uh, greed I know, I know, I know this is a message where literally like 75% of you are like, I don't struggle with this because I'm in high school and my allowance is 12 pennies a week. I have no money, so I don't care. Um, But I really think this is a lesson that God wants to teach you guys. And the best way I can end this message is just kind of with a personal story that many of you guys have heard. Some of you guys haven't, but I'm going to share it with you. So I struggled with greed, absolutely, in my life. I never thought I would. But when I started making money, that is when I started dealing with greed. I used to work at this church when I was 16, 15 years old as a janitor. So I vacuumed and I cleaned toilets and I scrubbed walls and all these great things. And eventually I started making money and I saved. I used to go to Walmart and I would you know, spend money on albums and things like that. But 
I started saving my money and I got to the point where I got my first thousand dollars. And at that point, I was like, oh, sweet dang, I am rich. And I was going around telling all my friends, like, yeah, so uh, I got a cool K. I got a cool K in the bank, cool thousand dollars. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Cool K, why do you talk like that? You're weird. Um, I had a thousand dollars and I was so excited though. Uh, I, and I, I started seeing visions of dollar signs in my head, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna turn that thousand into two thousand and then three. And I was just dreaming about how rich I was gonna be. And then God confronted my greed right in the face because one day I was at camp. I was at a winter camp as a junior high counselor. I was volunteering as a junior high counselor when I'm 16 years old. So I'm at this camp and I'm sitting during worship and Phil Wickham is playing and he's singing really close to the mic, getting his mouth all over it. And I was like, that's gross. Uh, But the worship was really good. And um, I'm sitting in there and I'm worshiping and I've got my hands up and I feel like God's speaking to me. Has that ever happened to you guys? You're worshiping and you feel like God's speaking to you during worship? Yeah. So I'm I'm worshiping. I'm like, God, what do you have to say to me? What are you going to say? And God says, give Megan $500. And I was like, no. (laughs) Why would I ever do that? There was this girl named Megan who was a counselor at the time in the group. God said, give her 500 bucks. I was like, that's not Jesus. That's Satan. God doesn't want me to be poor. That is a satanic message from the pit of hell. Why would God want me to give $500? So I just like, the whole time God was trying to speak to me, I was just like, nope, nope, nope. Don't want to hear it, God. I came up with so many reasons why God was not telling me to give that thing up. Just so many justifications. I, I, I played these tricks in my head to say God would never say that. And God kept telling me to do it. He kept saying things to me. He kept speaking to me. He kept sending people in my life who kept telling me about generosity. Every message that I sat in at church had something about generosity in it, something about giving. And I just sat there going, that's not for me. That's for the guy next to me. Not for me. Not for me, Jesus. Um, Then Megan got up in front of the church and she told people that she was raising money to go to Austria as a missionary. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like Megan's going to Austria as a missionary. That's so cool, but I'm still not giving her 500 bucks. And I felt like God kept telling me and I was like, no. And then things started to get a little weird. I felt like every two seconds, somebody was telling me something about giving. And then I remember I was, um, I was reading this devotional about this girl named Melody Green, the wife of my favorite musician, Keith Green, and she was talking about how she had to give up her maternity clothes. She was pregnant, and she was starting to get, you know, swollen belly, and she was starting to, like, need the maternity clothes, you know, the stretchy pants and all that stuff, and um, the, the, the wife of Keith Green, Melody, God told her, there's a woman who lives in your neighborhood, this poor lady who needs maternity clothes. Give her the nice new maternity clothes you just bought. She was like, Lord, I don't want to, but God was like, no, listen, it'll be awesome. So she gave up her maternity clothes to this poor lady, these really nice expensive maternity clothes. And you know what happened? God actually led someone in the church to actually, for some reason, donate maternity clothes to her. They weren't as nice, but God provided for her. So I like read that story in my devotional. I was like, that's cool, Jesus. I'm still not giving 500 bucks. Um, So then I turned on the radio that same day. The lady who wrote that story in the book, like in the 70s, comes on the radio and she tells the same story I just read in the devotional. And I'm like, what is going on? Paranormal, like, that's weird. Things, I I kept telling God no, though. Things got so weird, though. Like, so weird that I couldn't handle it. I was in my room cleaning and I found this stack of DVDs that were blank. 
And I was like, what are these DVDs? So I'm popping them in my DVD player. And, you know, one is like an old episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, like, one is an old episode of some random show. I put in the third DVD. It's, it's blank. I don't know what's on it. I go downstairs to make myself a sandwich. I come back upstairs and Megan, the girl I'm supposed to give the money on, she's on the TV. It was a recording, a DVD of her two years ago, when she, or, or a year ago, when she had gone to Austria the first time. It was a video of her on the stage over there at Calvary Vista talking to the congregation about how the previous year she had needed money and God had provided someone anonymously to give her the money that she needed. I was like, oh, like why is this DVD in my room? Like, I didn't ask for this. Like, I don't go around collecting DVDs of church services. I wasn't there. I don't remember this. Like, what the heck? And I felt like God was like, checkmate. <laughs> and I was like, okay, God, you win. I'll give her the money. So I put 500 bucks and I was like, I am so poor now. Half of my fortune. I put it in an envelope and I gave it to my youth pastor, Dan Lights. And I was like, Dan, give this to Megan. Don't tell her it was from me. He's like, all right, bro, I'll do that. So he gave it. That's what Dan sounds like. All right, bro. So he gave it. He gave it to Megan. So I'm thinking like, all right, I did my good Christian deed. Now God will bless me. Well, then here's what happens. Megan like shows up at youth group and she's like yeah guys i was planning on going to austria but they actually canceled the trip so i can't go sweet and i'm like no <laughs> like this is no you have five i didn't say it but i thought it. i was like she has five hundred dollars of my money my hard-earned janitor toilet cleaning money and now she is gonna go spend it on herself on shoes on clothes like i was so mad and i was like God, how could you do this to me? I was just like complaining. I was like, God, why would you do this to me? Your servant who gave five hundred dollars, and and I, I, I actually, whoa, oh, uh, yeah, I, I did that. I like threw water bottles and scattered flyers all over. That's thank you for that that demonstration. Um, that's exactly what I did, and and so I actually knew people in Austria. I had friends in Austria because I had been there the year before, and so I was calling people in Austria, like pastors. Like I was like, you got to get this girl Megan over there. You got to get her on this missions trip. They're like, sorry, dude, it's canceled. I'm like. Like I was just ripping out my Afro hair at the time. Like I was so upset about it. And God was like, Aaron, let it go. I was trying to teach you a lesson about greed. You gave money out of the goodness of your heart. Stop freaking out. You will get another $500 one day. Just let it go. And I finally gave it up. And I was like, all right, God, that's your money. Do with it what you want. Here's the crazy thing about the story. Megan ends up using some of the money to go to Bible college in England. And she comes back home and she tells me about it. She's like, Aaron, like I went to this Bible college in England. It was so cool. You should think about going. And I end up going to that Bible college in England. And that decision impacted so many parts of the rest of my life. It's where I met my beautiful wife, Brooklyn. And that changed my life so much for the good. It was one of the things that just solidified when I went to that Bible college, my calling into ministry and the things that God was calling me to. And I just think, man, if I had never given that money, maybe God wouldn't have blessed me in that way. If I had never obeyed him, because it's not about giving money. It's not about giving money. I've never been a guy who like gets up and says, all right, pass the plate around, like youth group, everyone give me money so I can go buy like more stuff for myself. That's not the heart. So for you, it might be money that God is telling you to give. It might be your time. It might be your energy. It might be your gifts. It might be your friendship. But God is always telling us to give something. He's always telling us to lay down an idol. Like we talked about on Sunday in Judges, he's telling us, 
He's saying, guys, listen, you can't take my hand if there's idols in your hand. If your hand is full of idols, you can't hold on to Christ and take hold of what he has for you. You have to give those things up if you want to fully take hold of everything Jesus has for you in your life. So that's greed. Greed is lame. Jesus is awesome. Let's pray that God would deliver us from greed. Let's pray that in our young lives going forward, because you don't know how much money you're going to make, and you don't know how poor you're going to be, or in between. But no matter how rich you are, now how poor you are, we can live in greed or we can live for Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. So let's pray and let's give this time to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, that you love us. God, I just pray that you would help us to be a people not consumed by greed, a people not given to greed. God, you know that you're not against rich people. You're not against people having stuff. But God, it all has to do with, did you bless people with that stuff? Did you give it to them or did they make it through shady, sinful ways? God, if we're poor, we can be greedy just as much as a rich person. We can be just as bad living for ourselves and being greedy. God, I pray that you'd help us to not live for greed. Help us not to live for the pleasures of sin, but help us, God, to live for you. Help us to commit ourselves to you. Help us to give ourselves to you. Help us to let go of our idols so we can totally take hold of your hand and follow you completely. We love you, Jesus. We give this night to you, and I pray that you deliver us from greed and help us to be generous people who give our time and our money and our gifts and our friendship to everyone who's in need. Help us, God, to have eyes that see the needy, not just ourselves. Help us to have eyes that look at people the way you do and not just have eyes that look at our own life. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen.